Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians as we learn the instruction that God gives husbands and wives in marriage. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, Marital Fulfillment for the Glory of God. chapter 7. We're still in our uh, brief break from the book of Romans, studying through verse by verse there. And we're entering a a quick series here of three messages, and, and this is what the messages will be. Marital fulfillment for the glory of God, that's today, followed by joyful singleness for the glory of God, and then finishing up with family flourishing for the glory of God. Now, in your lifetime, all three of those messages may apply to you at some season or another, maybe not all three of them, but I just want to make a couple of appeals to you at the beginning of this. One of the appeals that I make to you is, wherever you are right now may not be where you are forever. If you're single, you may marry. If you're married, you could be single by tomorrow morning. And if you are single and think that this will be where you stay for the duration of a life, you you do not know what possible health concerns could come in your future and you end up living in another household. My point is, is that every single one of these messages could end up applying to you directly. But there's another appeal that I make to you to, to heed the scriptures and not, you know, like maybe check out if some of these may not apply to you right now. And the, the appeal is this. We're in a body. If you're in Christ, we're in a body together. We're in a family together. And part of the way we serve one another is by understanding one another. Part of the way that we minister to one another is by understanding where our brothers and sisters are in Christ, knowing how to encourage them. And God has created all of these different states of life, marriage, singleness, family, empty nesters, grandparents. God has created all of these things in a way. Every single one of them as a Christian lives in these places. God is displaying things. And God wants us each to understand each other. So men need to understand femininity. Women need to understand masculinity, singles, marriage, marriage, singleness, all of these kinds of things because there are things that God is showing, God is displaying, and God is teaching in each of them. So let's read our passage this morning and then we'll get started walking through this. First Corinthians chapter seven, let's read the first nine verses, then I'll pray and we'll get into the time. Beginning in verse one. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 
But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Please bow with me and let's ask for God's help. Oh Lord, our God, Father, we humbly come before you. God, and, and with trembling, with a sense of trepidation, oh God, Father, we bow and we cry out to you and ask for you to show us more of your glory. Week after week as we come here and, and we read your word, we just keep seeing you reveal more and more about yourself and, and, and about how you've made this world. And all of it helps us see more of your power, your sovereignty, your supremacy. You have made millions of things that all cause us to marvel and we wonder at your greatness. Marriage is another one of those things. I ask God for the grace that you will help us to see, see the truths, see the way that you've made this world, see the way that you have designed marriage. Father, and I, I pray that in seeing these truths, you'll show us more of yourself. I wanna ask your grace on the marriages in our church family. God, that you will strengthen them you will sweeten the intimacy and that we will rightly picture what you want us to. And God, I pray that the health and strength of our marriages, those who are in Christ will even be a way, oh Lord, that we draw others to faith in Christ as they see your wisdom displayed. God, I pray for those who are in difficult marriages. I ask God that you bring redemption. I ask for those who are married to unbelievers, oh God, that you will use their lives to be a compelling witness to draw their spouses to trust in Christ. I pray for those who are single, oh God, and I pray that you give them endurance and that they will model the things that you have designed for them and that all of us, oh God, will be showing the angels beautiful things of how you've designed and created. So please bless us. Help me to preach. Help all of us to receive your word, O oh God. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. A husband convinced his wife to go hiking with him one day. <coughs> Wasn't her favorite activity, but she conceded for the sake of their relationship. So they got up bright and early in the morning, set out, hit the trails, hiking fast, burning calories. After a couple of hours of intense hiking, she says to her husband, honey, can we stop and get a snack? To which the husband replied, I'm not hungry, and kept on walking. She was slightly taken aback and thought to herself, well, he must not have understood that I was hungry. So another hour passes, and she once again speaks up and says, uh, honey, is it okay if we take a break and get a snack? He says, honey, I've already told you I'm not hungry. Let's keep going. But this time she suggests, well, honey, you don't understand, but I'm hungry. To which the husband says, ah, we, just, we just really don't have time for this. If we're, if we're going to get this hike in by, by daylight, we, 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 got, we got to just keep on going. Well, now she's slightly perturbed, thinking, is he really being this selfish? The hike gets kind of awkwardly quiet, but they continue on for a little ways. Another hour passes and more miles. At this point, she's starting to get a little lightheaded. So she speaks up and says again, Honey, I really need to stop and eat. To which she says, oh, we'll stop for supper. Just, just hang in there till supper. She says, supper? Are you kidding me? 
he looks at her very frankly and says, you know, honey, you're being kind of selfish about this. And I can tell you that that comment did not go over well. The rest of the hike was miserable. They finally reached the end, both of them angry at one another. They do eat supper, but it was not a very special event and not much enjoyment. Well, if in our little illustration that we just gave there, if we replace the hike with married life and we replace food with other kinds of hearts and body and soul desires and needs that God has created, you can see a picture of oftentimes how marriages can degrade, how bitterness can find its way into a marriage there. Things like a wife's desire for emotional intimacy, to be loved and cherished and pursued. Things like a husband's desire for sexual intimacy and companionship. There's a helpful little book written uh, several years back that you can find in your Christian bookstore called uh, His Needs, Her Needs. It's not perfect, but it's a helpful little book. And in the book, what the author does there from a Christian perspective is he outlines the top five desires, needs that a husband feels in regard to his wife and that a wife feels in regard to her husband. And the whole premise is husbands and wives mutually serving to meet those needs in their spouse. One of the things that I always find so amazing about this is every time this kind of research is done, and the question is asked, what are, the, what are the top things that a husband desires? What are the top things that a wife desires? I find it amazing that when these things are brought out, we see in scripture that God has given the command for husbands and wives to meet those needs in one another. For instance, study after study after study, even, even though culture keeps thinking it's moving beyond biblical times and thinking that people are changing, still the top needs that come out of whenever a wife is asked, what, what do you most desire? Still it comes out to be loved, to be cherished, to be romanced, to be pursued. And all of those things husbands are commanded to do for their wives. God created, wired us up like this and then created marriage as a beautiful way for that fulfillment and service to come to one another. And when a marriage lives out, this mutual serving one another, this considering one another before myself, it actually pictures the gospel the most beautifully. In other words, friends, a joyful marriage is not just allowed. A joyful marriage is the goal by God's design. A, a joyful marriage is, is part of the way that God has wired this up for the enjoyment of his people and for the display of his truths and his purposes. So with all that said, let's jump into this morning's teaching here. And we've read this passage here, the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 7. There are, there are two primary truths that are taught here. Let me kind of show them to you and, and show where we're going today and even then into next week. There's several sub points made along the way, but here are the, the first two big points in here. The first point that's made, Paul being led by the Holy Spirit talks a bit about uh, singleness. 
The Corinthians had written a letter to Paul, and in that letter, they ask a, a whole lot of questions. Throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians, you can see him saying, all right, you ask this question, here's what the Lord says, here's another question. Chapter 7 is all about marriage, singleness, sexuality, divorce, all of the theology of how do all these things kind of fit together here. And he begins to address this question. The Corinthians had asked something along the lines of this question. I've had good news, kids, as we teach them. Ask me this exact same question before. Does a Christian have to get married? Or is singleness okay? Well, Paul responds. He says, no, a Christian does not have to get married. Singleness is good. However, for most people, singleness would be a bad idea. And he goes on to describe some of the why. And some of that will be what we study today and then coming into next week. So that's one truth. And we'll spend some more time. He has a lot more to say in the chapter regarding singleness. But the next truth that is addressed is in the part we read there is that for those who marry, their calling is to serve one another for their spouse's good. And it's this truth that we're going to spend this morning studying and applying today. So to do that, I'm going to bring up two major points, two major kind of divisions in our time. If you're taking notes, the first one is this, service for fulfillment. God designed marriage with several intentions in mind. So when God created marriage, it was not just one dimensional in nature. The Bible shows us a number of purposes. God designed marriage as a way to display who he is, his character. We see that, we see that brought up several times in the Old Testament. The New Testament makes a, a massive point to show that th this phrase that you'll hear Christians kind of spit out a lot of times, sometimes we don't do a, enough explaining of what it means, that God designed marriage to be a picture of the gospel. Now, if, if, if you're new to studying the Bible and that language kind of sounds weird to you, we're, we're going to spend some more time on it. But it basically boils down to this, that before God created the world, before he created male and female, before he designed all of this, God designed marriage in his mind as a way that he wanted marriage to tell a story. That it would be something that we live, but it would also be a way that different truths, the most important truths in the cosmos would also be illustrated by that. You know, so for instance, some of the things like as a husband's job is to uh, pursue and provide. So our God pursues his people, provides for his people. This has most clearly been demonstrated in Christ's work, bleeding and dying for his bride, the church, and then husbands are called. You go and imitate that kind of daily dying and, and uh, sacrificial service for your bride. So this is what we mean. This is how it's a picture of the gospel. We'll talk some more about that today. But we also see that marriage serves purposes of things like making us holy and protecting us from sin. That's talked about here in 1 Corinthians 7. It was designed to multiply the earth through husbands and wives having babies. That's in Genesis 2. Friends, God's wisdom is infinite. He's able to create something that is serving more than just one purpose. God has a, a number of things that marriage does. And this is another one that scripture shows us. Marriage was designed by God to be a source of gladness and joyful fulfillment. In fact, we might say that it is when marriage has the sweetest intimacy 
the greatest joy, the most fulfillment, that is when it is picturing the gospel the most accurately and the most beautifully. Friends, your marriage is picturing something. To the angels and to others, your marriage is preaching a sermon without words. If you take an instance of, say, a toxic kind of marriage where the husband and wife don't like each other very much, there's not great intimacy, they're just kind of hanging in there, that kind of thing, they're barking at each other like dogs, this kind of thing, they're preaching a sermon. One of the things that the angels see is when folks don't obey God's instructions, it don't go well, it leads to misery. But when a husband and a wife are joyfully living out God's design and there is delight and gladness and the smiles on their faces show a gladness in their hearts. There is another sermon being preached, not just about the wisdom of God's design, but also about what it displays about Christ and his bride. So friends, part of the way that we accurately show the, the gospel in our marriage is by our joy. Delight in marriage is not just allowed. It's a goal that God has set forth. Now, of course, we have to be careful when we say all kinds of things like that. We have to be biblical and not worldly in our understanding of these things. Of course, somebody could take that basic statement right there and be like, okay, I don't want to hear any more. I'm just going to go home and tell my husband, your job is to serve me or a, to a wife and selfishly kind of go about this. Of course, we have to be careful and counteract these things biblically. We can be selfish in our pursuits of happiness, but still the truth remains. God intends marriage to be a source of gladness and fulfillment. And when it does, it's honoring him. Serving one another for mutual delight is, is God's design. Now listen, we've, we've said before that oftentimes truths are more clearly understood when they're kind of compared with errors. So let me bring up an error and see if we can understand, understand the truth a little bit better. Legalistic Christianity it's been around for thousands of years. It's addressed in the Bible numerous times, still around today. Legalistic Christianity, it views all of life wrong and it views God wrongly. Legalistic Christianity always views God as though he's like a scowling faced man who hates fun and happiness. And like his great endeavor in the world is, oh, I always want to go find all the fun, all the happiness. I want to squash it, that kind of thing. Well, legalistic Christianity then, when it views marriage, it always kind of pictures and preaches these kinds of ideas of only in like utilitarian forms here. Marriage is about babies and nothing else. Or have you ever heard this one? There's a little meme floating around social media uh, that I see once in a while. Have you ever heard this one here? Kind of with a scowling face. Marriage wasn't made for your happiness. It was made for your holiness. All right, is that biblical? Do we see that in scripture? Now listen, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we understand that eternal joy trumps earthly happiness. We're very careful to say those things. Anytime somebody always says something like, God doesn't care about your happiness, he just wants your holiness. I always want to kind of counter with, listen, but God is working in our holiness for our eternal happiness, for our eternal joy. Your, your eternal joy is God's uh, plan and purpose for you in Christ and in marriage. Yes, eternal joy, holy joy trumps earthly happiness. And we see the Bible show that marriage was designed for holiness. But we also have a lot of instruction in scripture 
that shows us that God, with a smile on his face, created marriage for gladness as well. Song of Solomon shows the ideal kind of marriage where there is exceeding joy and sweet intimacy. A great God loves to give great gifts to his people. Legalistic Christianity gets God wrong, gets the whole idea wrong. The reality is the sweetness of intimacy in your marriage is a spiritual issue. You honor God by deep and sweet intimacy. When you enter marriage, you're entering something that is bigger than you. Friends, a man romancing his wife is not just allowed. It's the kind of thing that God designed marriage for. And as a man pursues and romances his wife, he is accurately picturing what God wants it to picture. This is incredible. And friends, yes, God designed sexual intimacy for having children, but also for enjoyment. Now, you may think that statement is you know, not controversial, but I do want to tell you that throughout church history, that kind of thing has been argued. The official stance of the Catholic Church, as well as various forms of legalistic Christianity, have said that sex is only for procreation and nothing else. When we see the scripture show, it is also for enjoyment and intimacy, and that this honors God when there is sweet intimacy. The Bible shows us God's design for a holy marriage. And it is a marriage with delight. It is a marriage where we enjoy the, the sweet displays of his kindness. This shows God's grace. And if I can make that point once again, which I try to all the time, what you believe determines everything about your life. Your doctrine affects how you live. Once you take that little mean-spirited spin, legalistic Christianity, marriage isn't about your happiness, what's that going to produce? <laughs> Not glad marriage. What you believe affects everything that you do. Friends, God's design is that in marriage, husband and wife make the blessing and the good of their spouse a goal, that they work for the good of their beloved. So let's walk through the argument here a little bit and let me show you kind of uh, how he brings out some of his reasoning here. The Corinthians ask Paul the question, if a Christian has to marry, he says the answer is no, singleness is a good thing. Uh, you can look, but if you look at verse seven, you notice that he says here, but not everybody has that gift. Now, what does he mean by that? What gift is he talking about? He's talking about the gift to live single and to do it well. You can be single, but not do it well. Just like you can be married and not do it well. What we're gonna see as we look next week that there is some who have the gift of marriage and it is spoken of as a gift. And others, the gift of singleness, meaning God has wired you up in such a way and has purposes and plans for your life. But he says, you can be single, and do it well if you have this gift. In verse two, he says, but because of temptation to sexual immorality, most people are to marry. And let's just go ahead and kind of get this out of the way at the start. 
Sometimes when we talk about these kinds of things that we're going to, some mature kinds of things, there's a reason why we have the kids back in the room and we meet in here. Sometimes when we talk about these kinds of things, folks can kind of get uncomfortable. Like, are we really going to talk about this? Listen, God does. Just marvel at the way that God has designed all of these things. God created you, your body in an amazing kind of way. And there are things that are pictured and things that are shown in this that are beautiful. I love how the Bible is so blunt. I love how the Bible speaks with such clarity that it's given an accurate picture of reality. So follow what he is showing here. Sexual desire, desire for intimacy, desire for companionship of marriage. Those are God created desires. Do not think that simply the presence of them is evil in itself. But before you maybe go justify some sin, understand this. The fall has brought a corruption to every single part of us. The fall has brought a corruption to all kinds of good desires that God has given us. You have the desire for rest. There's nothing evil about that, but it can be corrupted and brought to a different kind of lust. And the same goes with these sexual desires, desire for intimacy and companionship and such. And now in our bodies, because of the fall, there is a world of lust of various kinds. And the point that scripture is making here is that many people, if they lived unmarried, would eventually wear down and fall to the temptation of sexual sin or live burning with lust. He says here, most are not wired up for singleness. So then he continues on in the teaching. Look at verse three. In marriage, the husband is to fulfill his duty to his wife. And then he follows that up with the wife to the husband. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, he gives a specific instruction but he does so by giving a more general principle. The more general principle is, is spoken in order to address something very specific here, but we can take that general principle and apply it to all kinds of dimensions of marriage. So here is the specific. And if you got an ESV in your lap there, you see that it is worded quite a bit differently than what I read out of the New American Standard. I don't care for the way, I don't agree with the way that they translated it there in this place. And the reason being, they go ahead and interpret what's being said here rather than just say what the original was stating. And I think that by doing that, you miss the general principle. The way that the original is worded is, Fulfill your duty to your spouse or render your duty to your spouse. Now, the ESV interprets that to the specific that's being addressed here. So here is the specific. This whole first part here is about sexual temptation. God's answer for how to resist sexual sin is to marry and then for there to be regular sexual intimacy in marriage. As a husband and wife join together regularly, they are helping one another to stay off lust that might develop because of deprivation. And if the husband were to begin to neglect his wife or the wife to begin to neglect her husband, then what happens then is we open up the other to different kinds of temptations, some sexual, but others in regard to companionship and intimacy. And we do got to understand here, Never does the Bible give a license for sin if your marriage is not being a fulfilling kind of endeavor. 
like there is many a man, let's be honest, many a man who justifies his pornography because of blaming his wife. Never does the Bible give any kind of license for those kinds of things. If you find yourself in a scenario where you are being unfulfilled, where your spouse is not living out the biblical commands, you are to be faithful, you are to obey God, you are to continue on trucking forward, fighting the fight, honoring God, seeking to to redeem your marriage out of misery and into beauty, but never is there a license given. But in God's instructions, he tells us to consider one another, to serve one another. And so the most specific application here does have to do with sexual intimacy in marriage. He goes on to explain to the husband and the wife, your body belongs to your spouse. You are to think of yourself as a vessel that is designed to be a blessing to your spouse. In verse five, He instructs married couples not to deprive one another any longer, except the only time intimacy is to pause is by mutual agreement for fasting, he says, for the purpose of prayer. For just a second there, even though there is so much of that that regards these kinds of things, like, oh, we can't talk about those kinds of things in church, even though God does, imagine how many marriages would be saved or brought out of misery and into joy if this kind of thing were seen and taught and then obeyed, God's designs here are are just on display as wise. (laughs) But in order to teach that specific instruction, God makes a a, a general principle. The general principle, it it can be ripped out of context. There's sometimes you can't take a verse out of context. It's got to be read. There are sometimes there's a statement that stands alone as a general principle. And we have one here. Fulfill your duty to your spouse. Stop depriving one another. And this applies to more than just sexual intimacy. This applies to every way that God has given instructions to husbands and wives about how they are to be faithful to one another. You're to serve your spouse for their blessing. And that principle goes further. For instance, husbands, this passage is calling you to husband your wife well, to love your wife well. This passage establishes the principle, husband, that you are to make the gladness and good of your wife a goal. Husbands, you are to make the smile of your wife a goal of your marriage. Again, we step back. Of course, there could be unbiblical ways that could be ripped out of context. Of course, we have to be careful not to pursue ungodly kinds of happiness. And we do need to give that warning. There is many a marriage where greed has been set up as like the goal of marriage. And we're not to pursue, this is when holy joy trumps earthly happiness. But the principle still remains. We are to pursue the good of our spouse. So so husbands, does your wife have the desire? Does she flourish On those occasions, whenever you turn off the TV for the evening and you just spend the evening talking, does she blossom under that kind of emotional intimacy? 
then the principle here is saying that when you get home from work, no matter how tired you are, and no matter how much you wanted to watch the game tonight, serving your wife means sacrificing your desires for the good, for the blessing, for the gladness, for the joy, for the fulfillment of your spouse. God is establishing this principle of mutual service. Consider and serve one another. Now here's the second point. Living out our God-ordained roles as husbands and wives displays the gospel. It's not outlined here in detail in 1 Corinthians 7. It's mentioned in numerous other places in scripture, the clearest being places like Ephesians 5. If you're a, a new Christian and still, just still learning to study the Bible and those kinds of things, the last part of Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the clearest place in the Bible that God outlines um, his goals for marriage and then the uh, instructions to husbands and wives there. So that'd be a really helpful one for you to go and study. But what we see is that in various places, God describes the roles and obligations of husbands and wives, and yes, they are different. Let me just say a couple things about that. This just continues to grow in how controversial this is. So been preaching these truths for, you know, like 15 years now. I can remember 15 years ago saying, man, our culture really finds these controversial. <laughs> It's increasingly controversial. Like we just have such insanity right now that are literally professors being fired from universities that Americans are sending their children to for stating the audacious sentence that there are two genders. Let us all gasp in shock. And then to go a step further and say that those genders are different. Oh, now we're just at tyrannical levels here. And, and by the way, if you just really want a clear example of what Romans 1 talked about. Humans having a truth, staring them in the face clearly, but suppressing the truth of God, this might be one of the biggest that's happening in our culture right now. Every single day, the, the differences between male and female is staring us in the face, slapping us in the face. And yet the denial that there is a difference and the denial that has God has different roles and functions and responsibilities there, it's just at a level of insanity. There's a reason why the NFL is made up of men and that reason is not sexism. The reason is designed differences. And likewise, there are a number of things of the earth that if a man tried to walk in and tried to do in a way that God has wired up women to flourish, he will look ridiculous. God has created men with strengths and weaknesses and God has designed female with strengths and weaknesses. God's design is that in marriage, husband and wife would complement one another in those strengths and differences. And that complementing of coming together of roles and responsibilities as it is lived out, it not only obeys God, it displays things that God wants to be seen. Seeing the wise design of God in this is a beautiful thing. And looking at the difference between male and female. You know, what's better, a hammer or a saw? Well, it depends on what you need in the moment. They're designed for different functions. They're still useful for the same end, build the house. Just as a husband and a wife have the same great purpose of life, glorify God and enjoy him forever. But there are some ways that we fulfill that, we work in that in different kinds of ways. Not everything, but in some things. God has different designs. 
God has created, created a, a good and beautiful design in male and female and then in marriage. And by the way, God is the one who determines what is good, is be- good and beautiful. You know, one of the most common arguments of resistance that is coming against biblical marriage and sexuality is this whole argument. It's, it's complicated. See if you can track it with me. Love is love. And what they mean by that is, look, if two men or two women love each other, then that's good. Who are we to stand in their way? If they love each other, then it's beautiful. Sometimes they'll even try to cherry pick some biblical truths. Hey, love is from God. So if they love each other, then it has to be good. All right, well, let me challenge that. I don't think it's beautiful. You're saying it's beautiful. Who gets to say what's beautiful? Well, that person might respond, well, they get to say what is beautiful. Have you ever heard the expression, beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Let me challenge that one. Let's suppose a man wants to be, I'm not trying to just be vulgar for vulgarity's sake, wants to be intimate with a dog. And by the way, if you think that illustration is absurd, I don't think you're keeping track with where we are in culture. Is that beautiful just because that man's demented mind says that it is? Of course it's not. Well, then who gets to say what is good and what is beautiful? The answer is the sovereign maker. The Christian bows to the Lord, knowing that he has designed something. And Jesus points us to the scriptures to see where that design is displayed. God designed marriage. God designed male and female. And he gets to define what our roles are. And he calls them good and beautiful. Scripture declares that those roles are different. The family needs a leader. So God designed one and God designated one. The family needs a nurturer. So God designed one and God designated one. The husband and wife are equal in worth, equal in value, but different in function and responsibility. I really just don't see how this is so controversial, but Satan is able to bring great stupidity to minds in order to try to bring a rebellion to God. But as the husband and wife live out their God-ordained callings, serving one another, we glorify God. But let me come back to this statement here that we've made that in doing this, we not only obey him, okay? So that's one part of it. Husbands, you do what you've been called to do. Wives, you've been called to do. You have honored God. Good job. There's reward. But we glorify him in more than just that. Do you remember several I guess it's been several weeks back whenever we saw that the purpose of what God is doing in this cosmos is everything that he is doing, he is displaying to angels and to men. He is displaying to the heavenly creatures and in the last day, all that he has done will be displayed to mankind as well. And we will see his glory, his wisdom, his power, his supremacy, his grace, his love, his mercy. We'll see all of it, but even right now on a daily basis, We are displaying things to the angels. Well, friends, God created marriage to be another work of art that displays his amazing wisdom and power. When the angels see pulsars and quasars, they marvel at the power of God. When angels see 
sinners repenting and coming to faith in Christ. Their worship is stirred again. And listen, friends, when the angels see marriage as God designed it, they are seeing yet another work of art that he designed that is displaying his glory. Have you ever seen a beautiful painting and maybe been impressed by the quality of the work? But have you ever seen those paintings that also kind of have metaphors and symbolism in the painting and the painting itself tells a story? One of my daughters really loves to paint. And I thought this was ironic just last night. I saw the newest piece she's working on. And it's actually, she's got one of these poetic, uh, symbolic paintings where the tree represents something. She's got roots and they represent something. She tells a whole story in her painting. Have you ever seen these? We can see that painting and we can marvel at the quality of the work. But we can also marvel at, oh, this is amazing the way it tells this story. Listen to me, God designed marriage to be like that. God designed marriage that whenever we look in and see a beautiful marriage, when the angels look in and see, they are amazed at the wisdom of God in the beauty, but also in the story that it tells. And the story that godly marriage tells is the greatest story ever told. It's the story of the God who pursues his people. It's the story of the God-man who took nails and bled on behalf of his bride to redeem a bride, to take the wrath due to her, bring her to himself. Friends, when we live godly marriage, we're preaching a sermon to the angels and to men. We're displaying things that God wants to see. You're in something bigger than you. Live out the joy and intimacy for your own joy. But also understand, your life is bearing a testimony. Your marriage is helping others. We help one another, by the way. But God tells us to look even bigger. There is this mysterious way we're even helping the angels. And let me just say to you, if you have never turned to Christ, if you have never responded to the message of the gospel, Jesus is Lord, died for sins, raised from the dead. He says you must be saved from your sins and from the hell that you deserve. If you have never turned to him to submit to him in faith, then you need to understand that when the Bible talks about the bride of Christ, you are not among that. You are not among that people of God. You need to be brought into that and you will become a part of that people who enter into covenant with him now, but who will live in the blessing of being in covenant with him forever in the kingdom that is to come by trusting in Christ. This is God's design. It's bigger than us. It gets even more amazing when we consider the fact of how it is that our God models this. Friends, we have the God who comes to us. He's sovereign, he's supreme. He's the one whom the angels cover their eyes so as not to look on the terrifying power of his holiness. In his presence, all cry glory. And yet he's the God who washed the feet of his apostles. He's the God who continues to serve us even right now. Right now, you have a high priest in heaven who is interceding for you. He is serving you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work in his people. God serves again and again. Imitate. Let us imitate the character of our God. But what happens? What happens when a man or a woman finds themselves in a miserable kind of marriage? 
and all these things that we've just talked about as the ideal, they seem like a fairy tale, an impossible fairy tale. What happens when a wife has a terrible husband who's not pursuing her, has the romantic skill of a slug, exerts no effort towards her? What happens when a husband's wife slips into a coma and as he hears all of these kinds of things, he knows that is no longer my life. What happens to those who are in a marriage that is not going to be a joy-filled marriage, but they're in a scenario that is difficult? What, what is that one to think? For those who are in those scenarios where joyful marriage is not happening, listen to me, never allow yourself to fall to the temptation to justify sin. You fight day after day. You fight for obedience. You're, you have to understand those who are in difficult marriages will have greater rewards than those who have had easy marriage married to great people who have been easy to get along with. But you fight day after day to honor God. Every single day you are storing up treasure. Every single time that that husband makes a toxic kind of statement to you that cuts you to the heart and you reciprocate, however, in love and not bitterness, you are storing up reward to come. But I also want to tell you that you are also picturing something. You are also imitating the character of God. You're imitating the faithful God, even to unfaithful people. God causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Our God is merciful and faithful, even to those who hate him. When those who are in difficult marriages stay faithful and work for the good, always bearing in mind that there's the chance of redemption. And I think it's one of the things that maybe we don't say enough God redeeming marriages is a regular thing that he does. Churches are full of marriages that have been redeemed out of misery and into joy. That's a regular thing that our God does. And we'll labor for that. But bear up knowing that this will not be forever. Your greater marriage is yet to come. Your great redemption is yet to come. Those who are married to unbelievers. Scripture several times calls you to live in a compelling and beautiful way so as to try to draw your spouse to trust in Christ. That's never guaranteed. Even if you were the best Christian on the earth, but we are to try. Live out God's work of art. Live out these designs that God has made for your joy and the display of his glory. Let me close this in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, I pray that you'll take these truths and I pray that you will bring them to bear on all of us. Um, every way that I should have said something better or different, I pray, God, you correct it. Father, I, I pray that you will bless us. We long to honor you in this area of our lives and we long for all things to show the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that we will do that. Please bless us as we leave, O oh God. Care for us. And we ask all these things through Christ. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, Marital Fulfillment 
for the glory of God. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Thank you.